Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and with me are my two co-hosts tonight, Sarah and Jacob. Hello. Hello. <laughs> All right. It was kind of echoey there, Jacob. That's kind of uh, scary, actually. Yeah, you said that. Halloween time. Right. <laughs> I can't always help that sometimes. You, gotta... uh, you get what you get. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as you can tell, uh, listeners, by the title of this episode, we're going to be reviewing National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which, you know, I, I got to be honest, if you were to poll a lot of people, you know, give a nice, I don't know, 10,000 sample uh you might this might come out pretty close if not the outright is the the you know the most favorite christmas movie out there darn right um so you know and if it's not number one it's certainly certainly up there it's a very popular christmas movie i've seen it plenty over the years um you know starting out when i was a kid uh right up till well today uh, i watched it, i watched it last night and i watched it today with the audio commentary on the dvd so that was an interesting experience i hadn't ever done that before um you know learned some stuff it wasn't the greatest commentary i've ever heard but you know it was fine you know learned some things um so we're going to discuss uh the movie and you know we're going to we're going to break it down uh into the things that we feel that works and doesn't work about this movie. Uh, Sarah, I'm guessing you're going to say everything works and you're going to drop your mic and walk off the stage <laughs> and leave Jacob and I, I mean, to... I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> okay, we'll get to it. So um, before we get into anything, though, let's, uh, let's jump into the rundown. So National Lampoon's Christmas, Vaca Christmas Vacation was released on December 1st, 1989. It was written by John Hughes, and it was directed by Jeremiah Chechik, who up until this point had only ever directed commercials. So that's kind of a big deal uh, to give somebody a big-time movie like this. Um, you know, the one thing I didn't look up, I think, was the... National Lampoon's budget, which I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. I'll take a look. Yeah, look that up for me while I keep going here. $27 million. $27 million. okay. And uh, then 
they grossed in the opening weekend 11 million Mm-hmm. U.S. and Canada, seventy-three million, and then worldwide, seventy-three million. Yep, seventy-three million. Uh, one time of an hour and thirty-seven minutes, uh, starring Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Randy Quaid, Julia Louis Dreyfus, Juliette Lewis, Johnny Galecki, uh, Doris Roberts, among uh, many others. It's, it's got mm-hmm. a pretty substantial cast. Uh, plot synopsis: The Griswold clan decides to stay home and bring their family in order to experience a perfect Christmas. Um, so let's go around the room and I guess, first off, answer, uh, when did you see this for the first time? Uh, if, do you remember how old you were? And uh, what are your general non-spoiler thoughts on the movie? Uh, Sarah, why don't we start out with you? All right. Well, I think I was. I think the first time my mom actually let me watch this movie was like eight, hmm. and uh, it's just something they'd watched every year. And ever since I turned eight, we've watched it every year at Christmas. It's just that type of movie. It's our, it's a non-serious one that we always have to watch. And I mean, it's there's a lot of stupid lines and really odd comedy mm-hmm. but it's always it's the kind of movie that you can quote at christmas time endlessly and everyone's gonna know like it's just uh, all around kind of like fun quirky not and not anything great <laughs> or you know that like gonna get awards or anything like that but it's the quirky comedy type movie mm-hmm yeah, I mean it's it's in line with uh, with all the other vacation movies. It it's the yeah. that's the style of comedy. More the best um, out of the top three of those like vacation lampoons type movies, but yeah, definitely just right up that alley. Okay, uh, Jacob, you're up next. Uh, yeah, no, I remember watching this when I was a kid, growing up and. Family holidays. <laughs> Always had this one on along with the Christmas story on TV whenever we were waiting for the rest of the family to arrive and whatnot. So, yeah, uh, it's definitely one of the better Christmas movies in my eyes. It definitely is. Uh, it's definitely up there for the National Lampoon's like vacation movies. For sure, because, yeah, but, um, yeah, it's always kind of held a spot in, in my nostalgia, because it's something I tend to watch at least once a year, once every other year at least, just because, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, I, uh, same for me, I was, I was young, I was probably around eight or nine, you know, saw it for the first time, and... I've seen it plenty over the years. I won't say I watch it every year. Um, but I think, you know, that's probably on average every couple of years or so. Um, last Actually, I watched it last year and this year, two years in a row. So, um, you know, for me, this movie is uh, kind of the same. Like, it's it's on the, the upper end of Christmas movies. Um, it's got a lot going for it as a, as a movie... Um, you know, a kind of it's a movie that tries to do a lot, and by a lot I mean it tries to hit a lot of different kind of beats, and it mostly succeeds in that regard. It's not a perfect movie by any stretch. Uh, there are some things that I would like to change, which I will get to later. Um, but on the whole, it is a it's a fun time. You know, it, it's, a, it's a fun time. It's mostly uh, harmless, really, as a movie. But, yeah, it's not it's not without its faults, but it's definitely a movie that I think really excels at, mo- for the most part, at what it's trying to do. So we'll leave it at that. Yep. <laughs> Agreed. Okay. <clears throat> so let's, let's, let's start with... Um, let's start with the... The things that we think really work with this movie. 
what you know what are the things that we think really kind of work in its favor like if we do the first half of this movie um we can start out with that or or do you or do you think we should get into the things that we we feel like don't work uh with this movie where do you guys want to start probably the stuff that don't doesn't work because you know, I think that's going to be a shorter list, but I don't know about you guys. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So I, I, I suggested this movie for a reason. So do you guys want me to, want me to explain um, the reasons why I, I picked this movie? Let us in on your diabolical reasoning. So um, <laughs> I've seen this movie, like I said, plenty of times in the past. So last year I was sitting watching this movie with my wife and we got into a discussion post movie about the things that we thought did or didn't work and you know, what we would change about it. And so there's a couple things I want to, I want to kind of get off, off the bat here. Number one, the second half of this movie works in my opinion, far better than the first. This movie in a lot of ways is just a, it's a tale of two halves Second half, I think, is where the movie really kind of hits its stride and it really basically just kind of cruises right to the end pretty effortlessly. Everything just works for the most part. Um, the first half for me is where the problems really lie. Um, most of the first half is just a bunch of kind of just comedy pratfalls and gags. There's really no story there. You know, there's nothing, there's no narrative thrust uh, whatsoever with this movie in the first probably good, you know, 45 minutes or so. There just isn't a whole lot going on. And it, to me, it, it's a real problem. Um, and, I, you know, I, I was talking to Jacob about this. Um, for me, the thing that would make this movie better they would, I mean, what it would take to kind of fix this movie isn't a ton of work, frankly. So let me kind of tell you what I would do to kind of fix the first half, which is I think once you would do that, I think this movie would just be like as good as it is. I think it would be way, way better in my opinion. So here's what I would do. Um, the opening of this movie has them riding to get their Christmas tree um first off let me just say that clark is the worst husband and father ever <laughs> i mean seriously the guy Absolutely. puts his family in danger constantly um <laughs> i mean it's just it's terrible and don't get me started on um putting a down payment on a pole that you clearly can't afford and putting your family in financial jeopardy as a result of it just saying not the makings of Father of the Year, but, you know, <laughs> put that off to the side. Potato, potato. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, here's the thing, though. Okay. Um, that opening Christmas tree retrieval scene has no point. I mean, uh, the only point of that scene is that they try to make a funny scene out of it. And it doesn't really do anything for me. On top of the fact that they clearly can't get that tree out of the ground. I mean, it's up by the roots. What do they do? Dig it out with their hands, pull it out with their car, get a tractor up there. We're not supposed to know, apparently. But the point is that that scene doesn't really have any purpose. But then on top of that, I think the real problem with this movie is that um, there no, there's no inciting incident that gives the movie its actual purpose which is to bring the family there and to have a great, perfect kind of uh, old-style Christmas, right? Um, they try to kind of squeeze that in there, but they do it at a time in the movie where it's clearly not needed, you know? So my point is, there's a, the scene about, what, 30 minutes in or so, where Clark is up in the attic. And after he smacks himself in the face like 50 times he finds that film from his childhood right from the holidays and he's watching like 55 
Right, like 1955, and he's he's watching it, and he's you know tearing up, and clearly it's hitting him because he's remembering his childhood, and he you know he wants his children to have a similar Christmas. Well, why don't you put that at the beginning of the movie? Why can't that be the thing that causes him to want to bring everybody to his house? to have the perfect Christmas. Instead, you place it 30 minutes in the movie in the middle of a bunch of, you know, physical comedy pratfalls and, and you know, things like that. That it, 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 it's, a, it's a scene in this movie that literally has no real purpose. Anything amazing that, that could have been gotten out of that scene is wasted, right? So the way I would open up this movie is I would bring them home from Thanksgiving, from Thanksgiving, like they just went to visit family members, they've barely made it home, the car is in shambles. It's like every every time they take a trip anywhere, it's chaos, clearly. We know this. We've watched two previous movies. We know what it's like when they're out on the road. They barely survive, right? So they get home from their Thanksgiving trip, you know, Audrey's saying something like, I can't believe we made it home alive. That was the worst trip we've ever had, which is saying something. And then they go inside. We jump ahead to December 1st. Clark goes up in the attic. He, he is looking around for something. He finds this film. He watches it. He tears up. He runs downstairs. He says, everybody, I've got it. I've got it. We're not going anywhere for Christmas this year. And Audrey's like, thank God. We're going to survive. We're going to live. And he's like, we're having everybody here for Christmas. Everyone's coming here. We're going to host our family. And I'm going to give you guys the greatest Christmas ever, the Christmas that I had when I was a kid. I want you to have that too. We're going to make this the greatest Christmas ever. And that should be the narrative thrust of this entire movie. That should be the thing that propels Clark to want to make this the greatest Christmas, to make it a, an amazing Christmas experience. But it's lost on us because all we get is them going to get the Christmas tree and the, you know, the uh, in-laws are going to be coming soon and we've got to put up the lights and we got to, you know, score off with the, the snobby, um, you know, neighbors next door. And it's just, it's a lot of scene after scene after scene that doesn't really do anything. It's like the, the, the movie's kind of biding its time until... The in-laws get there, and then the movie kind of actually begins to feel like we're it's hitting its stride. Whereas if you kind of start the movie out like this, you spend about fifteen minutes or so, kind of getting you know all the table setting and the narrative thrust for the whole movie. You know they make the phone calls. Everyone says, "Yeah, sure, we'll come," and then that's when Clark says, eh, "You know," and I remember my dad putting up all these lights, and it was amazing. And I'm gonna. I want to do uh, even better than he did. And he makes it as his point to go out and, you know, he goes out and buys all these lights. And then, you know, he, you know, does basically what we see in the movie, um, which is even funnier because maybe he's never done it that big before. And so this is kind of way out of his league. Uh, but, but the point is, is like for me, the first half doesn't work as well as it should. It doesn't have a point. It's just... A kind of a funny scene by another scene by a funny scene, you know, stuff like that. And then once everybody gets in the house and Eddie shows up, that's when the movie begins to fire on all cylinders. And that's for me, you know, kind of my big takeaway with this movie is the first half doesn't work nearly as well, I think, as the second half does. And if I could change anything, that's what I would do to rewrite this movie. And it wouldn't take a whole lot. It would take 15 minutes, maybe a few additional scenes and some minor adjustments. I think this movie is way better. So after my long ramble thoughts, <laughs> uh, do you guys, do, do you, am I wrong here? Or do you guys feel like, do I have a point? What, what, what are you guys thoughts here? I'll let Jacob feel the starting of this. <laughs> I don't think you're like uh, mine. <laughs> Um, I definitely think it could do with some editing rearrangement. Um, 
like you said, Mike, and like uh, how you laid it out, it, I think it could have gotten the story uh, propelled and like initiated a lot better being at the beginning, that scene and that preparation for his incentive for the rest of the movie. Um, I, to me, there's a few things they probably could have edited out, but that's solely because looking at it from the lens of an eighties movie compared to (laughs) 40 years later now, Mm -hmm. it's things are a lot more, I don't know. The slapstick comedy doesn't need to be as overt nowadays as it used to be. Yeah. To get the jokes across. Like like you mentioned with the getting hit in the face five times by the board because he <laughs> like it screams Looney Tunes yeah. to me. Which I don't get me wrong, I love Looney Tunes, but it's like it is very much they don't they really beat this dead horse into the ground over and over and over with some of these slapstick jokes and that worked back in the day and it still has moments where it's still very funny but when it's it's just beating a dead horse sometimes in those regards that it, it definitely like some of those i think could have been like tweaked or edited and whatnot uh, to where it doesn't feel as yeah well let me tell you what that one scene that the sledding scene they can cut that right out of the movie but yeah, that was absolutely That's the dumbest scene in the entire movie, bar none. I mean, the problem with that scene is that most of the comedy scenes, even if it's heightened a little bit in terms of the plausibility, you know, you still watch it and think, okay, that could basically happen. Sure. You know, like, and so it's funny because it's a funny scene and the way it's the joke set up or the, the comedy, the physical comedy set up, it, it works. But that scene where he like rubs that, stuff that he created on the bottom of that and he flies like i mean god what did he could was he going this faster than the speed of sound i don't know pretty basically the way they it was excessive film it. and it's just like i'm watching him like and then on top of the fact that it's just ridiculous i mean ridiculous <laughs> as a ridiculously above the already ridiculous level it should be at anyway it's like it <laughs> It goes on for so long, you know, it's like a two minute scene of him, like just running through, like flying through mounds of snow and through somebody's cabin. I don't know. Uh, And then it goes across the road and then he plows through some more snow and he's going across the Walmart parking lot. And it's like, that's supposed to be funny. I mean, I know comedy is different for everybody, but I don't watch that scene and think that's hilarious. I watch that scene and think that's the kind of thing you cut out of the first draft of the script, <laughs> folks. See, so. I could like I can agree with cutting out like thirty seconds, but I also got to think that some of these jokes they are meant for like the kids that are watching because they know it's a Christmas show. You're gonna have your family watching this. There's gonna be some some jokes that are for or scenes that are for the kids. Cause I remember like when I was like eight, nine, 10 watching that scene, when could you really do that? Like your, your naive, you know, innocent mind. And like, wow, I wonder if I can get my hands on that well, kind of spray and do that to my sled. And I have, you know. I have no, I have no, no, no problem with the scene itself. If they would have dialed it back. I mean, they could have done it. So like, yes, this thing makes this thing like basically riding on a piece of ice. You know, where he flies down the hill and he's barely missing people. I mean, not so fast that clearly we're going beyond the ridiculous here. But like something where you go, okay, he's created this substance, which he's rubbing on the bottom of the the sled, the, the metal sled, and he is flying down this hill. But flying as in, okay, that's... Yeah, plausible, but it's still funny because you're just kind of ju- you're you're watching him barely miss people left and right, and then maybe he hits the, he hits a jump or something. He's like flying, you know, way way high, and you like I don't know plows into like a tree or something, you know, the, into the branches of a tree and gets stuck up there or something. Like you could do something that's funny without it being that, you know, just mm-hmm. dial it back about three notches, you know, like I don't know. yeah. 
I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but but Sarah, the point is like, what do you think about the the, the way I kind of rewrote the first half of the movie? Didn't I'm getting the impression that you don't really agree that that would be beneficial to the movie. Well, I think that the way you've reconstructed it. It would make for a smoother introduction to the point of this movie. I can agree to that, but I also like that it's not immediately handed to us. We kind of get, like, throughout the movie a little more glimpses into why he's so obsessive about this, where it's coming from, why he's so eccentric, and I don't know. I would I would compromise with throwing a little more direction to the beginning of this movie, but not not a super ton. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fine. I mean, again, I, I just <clears throat> I think, you know, when you have a story, you've got to have something that gives. I mean, I know most of this movie is just about making, you know, like funny jokes and yeah. relatable scenes. I mean, the, the thing that makes this movie so. I think popular, I think we can all agree is because you watch this movie and there's just one relatable scene after another, right? Whether you Mm -hmm. get the comedy gags or not, you can put those to the side, but what you do get is, Oh, I know what it's like to put up all these Christmas lights on my house and they don't light up because one (laughs) of them, or have that nightmare neighbor, right. Or having, so there's all these little things. And so it's, it's one of the, it's one of those movies where it's like, Oh, I get that. Oh yeah. I've totally been there. And that's, Great. I mean, that works in the movie's favor. But, you know, the movie is like part Pratt Falls and physical comedy, but it's also a movie that tries to have a heart, you know, that, that does try to, you know, feed into that old time, you know, it's a wonderful lifestyle kind of nostalgia of, of uh, uh, days of yore kind of thing. And that's that's great it's fine like i i'd have no problem with that i just i just wish that in the beginning of the movie we understood why clark wants this so badly because then you're rooting for him once you understand oh he wants to give his kids the christmas that he had then all of a sudden you're like okay, you're kind of rooting for him. Like, yeah, yeah, make this house like the brightest house in the entire world. You can see it from space, you know, <laughs> that shuts down the power grid. Um, you know, yeah, you know, we, we want to see Clark put on this amazing dinner and all, you know, so it's just one thing after another where you're actually rooting for Clark, even if he's the kind of guy, if you've watched any of the, the National Lampoon movies, you know he goes over the top on everything. I mean, he doesn't take it to a 10. He takes it to a 12 every time. And so if you've seen those movies, you get that. If you haven't, fine. You, you know, you still get the relevant information here. He kind of just goes over the top on, on all this stuff. But for me, like, I'm watching this movie in the first half. and like, yeah, just I don't. I see a lot of kind of amorphous blob of material in where I feel like if they'd taken a piece of clay and kind of molded it into an actual shape, you know, and, and given this movie, it's, like I said before, narrative thrust, it's it's momentum for the story. I think that this movie is just, you know, better for it. But, all right, so um, there's a lot of things that does that does work with this movie, though. Um, I uh, Well, I'll put it this way. Sarah, you love this movie. Give me some of the stuff you think really works in this movie's favor. Like, what works so well for it? Just a lot of, like, the dysfunctional family dynamic is something everybody can relate to. And the combination of, you know, stress of the holidays, chaos, unexpected visitors. I mean, like, everything just hits certain aspects of relatable home life that I think is what really makes this movie as great as it is and then you top that with some lines that are so ridiculous you can't help but like have them in your brain forever <laughs> like <laughs> some of them shouldn't work but they just do for some reason Sh- shitter's full <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> Why is the carpet all wet, Todd? <laughs> I don't know, Marco. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just forever embedded into your brain for no good reason. 
Um, yeah, the lines are really what make this movie, and the deliverance too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Absolutely, Jacob. What about you? <laughs> what, what's some of the things that really stand out for you here? Um, I have to agree. A lot of it is very much the the dialogue, the lines being able to just be so well delivered. Um, like 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 you said, it's not that shouldn't work that does. <laughs> like him standing at the window watching it, cousin Eddie. Empty the septic tank, and she's like, what, "What are you doing, staring there?" And he's like, "Oh, just staying, taking in the the winter season, and you know, watching a man in a bathrobe empty his septic tank." Yep. It's just like it shouldn't work, but it does, and it's it just so it's comedy gold in that regard. Like the line delivery is fantastic throughout this entire movie. Yeah. It, it, you got to commit to and they do they yeah. commit <laughs> i guess one thing we should do is like name our favorite lines at the end of this episode god <laughs> we all must have one <laughs> i mean when i say you have to commit i mean if you're you know randy quaid and that scene just out there with the septic tank i mean if you can't commit if you don't commit 110 percent to that scene that scene will not work Period. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that's exactly what you need to do. Otherwise, you know, it's going to fall flat. It's going to feel, it's going to feel forced because you can tell the actor isn't really believing in that scene. And I mean, he does everything to that level with cousin Eddie in this movie. Um, Definitely drawing from his own real life crazy, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean that's that's true. Uh, if you've read <laughs> oh, anything, yeah. um, apparently he his inspiration for this this character was a guy down in Texas that I think he worked in like a local like hardware store or something. So like his his inspiration for Eddie is based off that guy. Not so. surprised, Texan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Sorry, Texans. <laughs> So we have another scene in this movie where where Clark gets a little tongue tied uh, in the face of a of a beautiful woman um, at the counter as he's shopping, where he casually mentions that his wife has died. Um, yet again, amazing by Clark. Great husband. Right. Uh, uh, I'm just <laughs> God, re- God. God rest your soul. Like. Yeah, Clark. Yeah. Good, good job, buddy. Tis the season to be married. Yeah, so he said, "Yes, tis the season." Um, and and then, um, yeah, I I think that whenever um, uh, Rusty shows up, <laughs> and then oh, look at yeah. him, he's like, "Look, look, Rusty, look, no, Ru- look, look, Rust, no tan yeah. lines, <laughs> no tan lines." Yeah. Uh, oh man. It's just bad. Um, so I think the relatability is what, to me, I mean, yes, I think the, the line delivery is amazing, but the relatability of this, uh, of the, the scenes in this movie that, like you said, depict the dysfunction of of having family in for the holidays, just al- along with all the expectations that you set for yourself to just make a great experience for everybody. Uh that works, and and I guess, I guess that's why I don't understand the need for so much of the 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 physical comedy stuff. Like some of it is legitimately funny, but because the line delivery itself is so excellent, uh, and the jokes and the lines that they've come up with for that comedy works so well, it's like okay, you don't have to rely on that that kind of comedy. Uh, I know that it's there from the previous vacation movie, so you can't cut it out entirely. But I think if you think about some of the best comedy in this entire movie, it's not from the physical stuff. Most of it, honestly, is from is from the the line deliveries, or just nonverbal, non like 
wacky physical physical comedy stuff. Like Cousin Eddie being out there emptying a septic tank is hilarious, just because of the scene. You know, it's it's you know juxtaposing Cousin Eddie standing there in his bathrobe and his slippers, uh, with this ridiculous hat on his head, emptying a septic tank in a you know middle class neighborhood with two yuppie neighbors that have to walk outside to go for a jog and see that guy standing there uh drinking a beer <laughs> at eight o'clock in the morning or whatever time it is. I don't remember what time it is. I think it's breakfast. I think that I think yeah it was breakfast. So you know it I feel like they kind of rely too much on that physical physical gags, but I do think that, for me at least, the the best stuff is, like you said, the the line delivery. That's where it, yeah. it really excels. Yeah, and just like the facial expressions too. You need the cast. Like every single one of them is just top notch in their deliveries of really absurd lines, and <laughs> some of it's just so great. Poor kitty. Poor oh kitty. my god. Yeah, poor that kid. poor cat. Yeah, yeah. that should—that uh, was terrible. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Apparently, that cat. They wanted to cut that out. The studio wanted to cut that out. Um, back when before they released the movie, they were going to cut that out, but I guess they they decided to keep it in. And yeah, poor kitty. So, yeah. Um, apparently they trained a a squirrel for like months. <laughs> For that scene with the the, the dog, <laughs> and uh, the day they were gonna shoot it, the trainer came and told them that unfortunately the squirrel had died. Oh no! Yeah. So, so did they use just a random? They squirrel? used an untrained squirrel because that's all they had. Because <laughs> that that squirrel apparently was like amazing at what it needed, what they needed it to do before it died. So yeah, so they had to use a fake squirrel and a real squirrel. Oh my god. So. Ended up working, uh, but yeah, that's kind of sad there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the squirrel. <laughs> so, um, so the first you know half of this movie, like I said, we get uh, Clark putting up all the lights. He's desperately trying to get the lights to turn on, but they won't. And so, I'm not entirely sure what it is turns the lights on. I've never been able to figure that out. And what am I missing? Cause, cause Ellen goes in the back and hits a switch. Is it the, is it the switches that turns on the outlet? Is that the key? Like there's a switch that they have to hit that turns that outlet on to give it power or something, which is yeah, why I it wasn't working. I think it's all on a certain breaker okay. and only um, like the outdoor outlets are connected to the breaker. That's the, garage is also connected to so that's why it works when you flip it on uh, is what i think okay okay i agree i think that's what it is <laughs> so the scene where he gets really angry and he starts kicking and punching all the the plastic <laughs> decorations apparently chevy chase actually broke his pinky when he punched the santa claus and instead of stopping he continued to kick and punch and knock the rest of the stuff. He didn't break character despite breaking his pinky on that. <laughs> that so, Santa fought back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely fought back. Um, so that's that was like okay, it's suffering for the scene. You know, you you definitely put in your <laughs> you put in your uh, you put your Props your your pinky on. Uh, <laughs> on the line there for that scene. So, uh, all right. So that, uh, I think was, was pretty awesome. Um, yeah. so what else do we have going on here? Uh, we I have mean, Eddie's a walking train wreck, <laughs> but so, their kids are just sweet as can be Ruby Sue and rusty. Like they're actually normal comparatively to their parents. Yeah, so I was say, very comparative. Yeah, so so um, 
All right, so there's this scene where Clark is looking out his window, imagining the pole that he's putting in, <laughs> which is hilarious. And Cousin Eddie in, what is it, that that leopard spots? He has like this um, like speedo, speedo over top like... of a pair of shorts yeah. or something. <laughs> No, no, no. He's got this, like, wife beater on that's tucked into the oh. Speedo oh. hanging out. And then I think he still has, like, the dicky underneath for some reason. Oh, the dicky. The dicky is the best thing ever when he gets to the <laughs> oh house. And he, and he, and they, they, when he lights the house up and they come and, um, and then they go inside and he's drinking the eggnog and, yep. and he's got the dicky on underneath his shirt. A black dicky under white <laughs> shirts. <laughs> Come on. It's oh hilarious. It's so bad. It's like his attempt to dress up. <laughs> so bad. It's so bad. So in that scene, he's, um, he's got like, there's, there's, uh, flippers uh. on too. When he gets up, uh, he's got the big giant flippers on his feet. Um, and then we see everybody playing and dancing around. And then the, the girl from the, the counter, when he was shopping, appears. And um, clearly, you know, he's doing his thing. And the, the little girl shows up, which, of course, freaks him out, all things considered. And I love their conversation when she's sitting there and she's saying, you know, I don't. Don't think we're ever gonna we're gonna get anything for Christmas this year, and to this day, I'm firmly convinced that this was a story that she was told to tell Clark. <laughs> and I'll get to why in a second, but one of my favorite lines in the entire movie was "shit and bricks." Oh, you shouldn't say <laughs> you shouldn't that. Say that. <laughs> you shouldn't say that. Oh, sorry, shitting stones. Which <laughs> I think is just. <laughs> but um the reason why i'm firmly convinced that she was told to tell clark this like she was sent downstairs is because when uh well first off when when she and uh or when he and uh ellen are sitting around talking about you know the fact that the kids aren't they didn't think the kids are going to get anything for christmas uh, and Ellen says something, well, he's been out of work for seven years, and he's uh, holding out for, uh, was it for management? For a management <laughs> position. position. <laughs> um, and so the, the Clark and and uh, Eddie go to the store, and I just love as, as Clark's walking along, Eddie's just picking up these giant, just absolutely ginormous bags of, like, dog food. Just And, like, you see him put in a light bulb on top, and then just... <laughs> yeah, and he just just shatters gone and clark's like you know we want to get the kids some stuff for christmas you know and help you guys out and make sure they have a great christmas and then he's like no 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 you know he's like so reluctant so reluctant and then when he finally agrees he's like well pulls out that giant list and alphabetical an alphabetical list list, which he's totally prepared for plus plus my favorite part of that entire scene was and clark i want to get you something real nice which clark will be buying with his money so clark will be buying some ridiculously pricey gift for eddie to give to (laughs) to give to him which i think is just that's that is just i'm sorry that's pure comedic gold right there love it i love it so uh so that's why i'm firmly convinced that 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 was a whole setup thing because mm-hmm. if he didn't have a list ready to go, that'd be one thing I'd be okay, fine, you know. But the moment he agreed to it, finally, he pulled that list out, and it was just like, well, like we got little shit. Yep, <laughs> all this stuff. So, yeah, <clears throat> but that's uh, that's fantastic. So, um, getting into the second half of the movie is where things kind of go haywire. Uh, what do you guys think really works about that? You know, that second half in particular. the elevated chaos is it never like it's always over the top but it never goes to over the to the point where you're you know not interested anymore it's just kind of got hits the right notes and it's like insanity and when you throw in chevy chase doing this whole 
line about his boss that just seems never ending. <laughs> that he doesn't oh even God, seem to yes. breathe for. It's just it's just beautiful. Uh, the family members all had to wear a sign on their neck, apparently, that had a word <laughs> on it, which is each one of them had a sign on their neck that they were, when they were standing in front of him, that he was reading those, that not, he was reading some of those words because they were all words to describe his boss. So it's a lot of. Oh, yeah, it was a freaking like paragraph long. <laughs> like cussing out of his boss basically that he built up and pent up that was freaking so long so yeah it doesn't surprise me they had to find some way to make it easier on him i saw someone selling a t-shirt that had like that whole spiel on it and i'm like <laughs> man i am tempted to buy it for christmas oh uh, it's just it's such an iconic scene yeah for good reason yeah for good reason <laughs> Um, so yeah, so there's just so many things, uh, saying pledge allegiance at the table, which is, oh which is great. Yeah. Um, oh, she's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ray, that's great. She died 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. It was her last film role. She was the original Betty Boop back in the 1930s. Oh, really? Yep. I was actually like quoting the line but yep. really oh, did she she was the original buddy boop she was the original olive oil from popeye oh my god yep mm-hmm. yep. Really is iconic yep um so i want to ask you guys what do you think about the ending to this movie um i'm kind of two minds about it um you know because he's angry of course at his boss for the oh god not get getting his his bonus and it's a jelly of the month club. Uh, just awful. Just uh, it just it's fine. It's fine. No, is it? Is that what he says? It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. As he's dumping yeah, yeah. The, the the eggnog. Into the eggnog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, you know that's that's great. Um, but then you know Eddie, of course, hearing what. Clark said, and you know, thinking that's actually what Clark wants instead of just Clark being angry, goes and drags their boss back to the house, kidnaps him. And you know, they're they tell him why he's been kidnapped and how he's terrible and he canceled their bonuses because he's basically this greedy asshole and all this stuff. And despite being kidnapped, he's gonna. Not press charges, and he's also going to give Clark a twenty percent bump on his bonus, and like the eccentric SWAT that comes in every single window of the house. I'm just saying, hey, you want to give him that twenty percent fine, but if Clark thinks that that's going to pay for the poll, that's what he's actually paying for is all of the uh, windows that have been destroyed. <laughs> So he's Seriously. still not getting he's still not getting his poll. So uh-uh. just saying, um, it, it's a weird ending because I I can see what they're trying to do right. They're trying to hit that old fashioned you know like I said it's a wonderful life kind of vibe at the end there. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like this 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 boss never felt felt like he cared one iota for his employees. I I, yeah. I just have a hard time believing that he would do that <laughs> change over so quickly right I, I just like seeing like angry or sad faces of the family and like oh yeah i kind of did something bad so there's 20 percent uh bump on your bonus that i never gave you um yeah okay fine you know whatever um it's all right it's fine and i can see what it's doing it doesn't work as well for me as it should but you know yeah, it's not the worst ending either. Yeah. I guess I just brought oh, no, it up. I agree. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's like, I don't know a single person that would be in the position of his boss that would turn around and be like, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I'll go ahead and just change my mind like that. Because, <laughs> like, why? After being kidnapped. Like, the only time, the only way I would imagine it is if they were to have 
actually informed his wife and later on his wife berated him into it after she found out like he was that greedy of a piece of crap that would have made more sense than just like him seeing the whole family there after being kidnapped on the spot yeah i think if they had had the wife force him you know to give him the bonus and to give all the employees the bonus and to do yeah. that henceforth moving forward um or face her that wrath. Made more sense like... right if it if it turned out that like out of the two she was the the dominant like one in the in the relationship like actually because you think this guy's like you know oh man this guy doesn't take crap for anybody from anybody but man when when he gets home it's his wife is the is the one that uh, is the boss. Put it that way, you know. If they did something like that, where like she's basically berates him for doing this and kind of forces him to to do it. Uh, I think that would work. I think you have an excellent suggestion there, Jacob. I think that would totally make the ending work for me. You know, better than it currently does. Yeah, agreed. Just a little. A little more of a robust ending. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the methane gas explosion. (laughs) Of course, it has to happen. You know, because we can't have this movie end on a just pure emotional note. (laughs) Um, Has to blow that that Santa's reindeer up across the sky uh, (laughs) while they sing Pledge of Allegiance again. Uh, before the ball game, play ball, uh, play ball. <laughs> so, yeah, it, you know the movie. The movie ends on a sweet note, sweet, sweet enough. But yeah, I don't know. It's a movie that I think works for me. It's a movie that works in large stretches. Right. There, there's big chunks of this movie where I feel like, man, they're really hitting on all cylinders. But there's just some parts that I think either don't work or need to be kind of retold to to make it better than yeah. it currently is. And I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that all the, you know, I mean, there's tons of movies out there that I've seen that uh, even holiday movies that I, I enjoy a lot, but, you know, I also recognize they're not really perfect. Home Alone's a nostalgia pick for me because, you know, I saw it in theaters back when I was eight years old. Um, so for me, it, it's, a, it's a big movie I watch every year. Uh, but I also recognize that Home Alone's got plenty of issues in and of itself. A um, little bit. A little bit. But, yeah. So, I don't know. This movie is is excellent, though. I mean, I do really enjoy large chunks of it. I, I do find myself laughing quite a bit while I'm watching it. I just, mm. I think another problem, too, and I don't know if you guys agree with this, is that there's just way too many people in this movie. You there know, is a lot, and a lot of like yeah. big personalities. It's an hour and 37 minutes, all right? And so when you take out the opening uh, animated sequence... And if you take out the truck to get the tree, I mean, it's all fine up until the the family gets there. It's the best part of the movie, but when the whole family gets there, they feel like background. You know, there isn't a whole lot for them to do. When you think about the individual characters, um, you know, think of like Doris Roberts, uh, her character. I think she's what, uh, Ellen's mom? I think. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot to do there. You know, she's kind of there, you know. Um, a miserable. Woman. Yeah, I mean, there, there's just not a whole lot to really do with the characters. They don't really have anything big to kind of contribute other than to kind of just be a family member and kind of be there. Um, and even, like, the kids, I mean, once once the family gets there, the kids basically just melt in the background. They only have a handful of you know, a bit of like scene, like dialogue really in, in, in about halfway through the movie to the end, there isn't really a whole lot for them to do or, you know, say really. Um, 
you know, and I think that's just a product of having an, a movie that's just over an hour and a half long. You know, and, and given how the movie is kind of laid out and everything, it's just it just isn't a lot to do, you know, with the, for the characters. So, and yeah. again, I don't need think that everybody needs to have a, like a you know a giant plot or anything for each character. I understand what's going on. I just think like some little things I've kind of felt like way, fell by the wayside. They, there's a bit of dialogue when right before the family gets there, the families, the in laws get there. That the the two sets of in laws don't really get along very well um, with each other, and so the only kind of you know I guess kind of conflict that we get between them is right when they come in through the door. There's like a little bit of words or something, you know, and that's kind of it, right? Like I would have liked to have seen some kind of sniping here and there, maybe kind of some blow back blow out between you know the two sets of in-laws at some point that you know needs to be resolved just because you know if you're going to say they don't really get along then you should really show that they they don't get along um you know but again that's kind of small stuff it's not huge but it's just little things that i feel like okay if you're going to say that in the script you might want to you know follow up on it make it apparent that that is in fact the truth right. you know so but um, so you guys want to talk about anything else when it comes to the plot, to any of the jokes, any anything? Uh, Jacob, do you have anything you'd like to kind of chime in in there with? Um, mostly just trying to – I will just follow up with like the dialogue is definitely the best part of this movie and the voice line delivery. And I agree like with the, – there definitely could be some less – people involved it felt like end game level number of people they had they decided to try and incorporate into this movie so i think not a whole lot but like if they would have made some minor tweaks and changes it would have made this even better and it kind of shows so okay uh sarah anything else you'd like to add We've encompassed pretty much everything, uh, all the ups and downs and so the highlights. Uh, I think we've definitely gone across this movie. <laughs> I do want to know what your guys' absolute favorite lines are from the movies. Uh, the movie. God. Um... Mine is the line where uh, Eddie walks in. He's like, oh, were you surprised? And he's like... Eddie, I wouldn't have been more surprised if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet. <laughs> it's just like the driest delivery, but it's still just one of the things that like it sticks with me because it's like no one really ever wants or expects Eddie to ever be around. And it really it starts it off so well with like just how much no one likes cousin eddie <laughs> and, and what's really great is just how oblivious he is to the fact you know yeah which i think is kind of part of the charm of the character is is like he doesn't even recognize the fact that nobody wants him there like clark most of all yeah. you know like yeah. clark is just constantly always just ready to you know toss him to the wolves <laughs> basically um yeah i mean my line, oh man, there's just there's just so many. I know. I mean, I guess I guess the little girl, the the shitting bricks, I I I I bust a gut every time, because <laughs> it's such a it's such a dry joke, and the way that the 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 little actress delivers it, you know, I just love that. You know, shitting bricks, mm-hmm. you shouldn't you shouldn't say that. Oh, I'm sorry, shitting stones. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> the the it's like. Because what's funny about it is you know what he's trying to say, but she's not picking up on the fact that you shouldn't say shitting. You should. <laughs> it That's just. Why are bricks bad? <laughs> right. It's it's just, it's it's great. It's so sweet. <laughs> it's just great. And yeah, the, the performances. Let's let's talk about the performances. Um, what did you guys think of the, the performances overall? I mean, Chevy Chase and, you know, Beverly D'Angelo. I mean, you, you, we can talk about them, but like they're they've been in two previous movies. They are, 
you know, good actors that have done this stuff for a while. So, you know, I don't know what else we could say about their performance other than they just do a great job with what they're given. Uh, I think, you know, Randy Quaid does an amazing job as, as Eddie. I mean, I think you can make a solid argument that, that Cousin Eddie is maybe the most popular character in the entire film. Most memorable, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think most people, when they think about it, think about Cousin Eddie, and they just, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, but what do you think about, like, uh, Johnny Galecki as, uh, as Rusty and Juliette Lewis as Audrey? It was really funny. Like, um, I remember when Big Bang Theory came out, and it, it, I didn't click that this was the same person. So when I, like, watched Big Bang Theory and Christmas time came around, I'm like man, why does this kid suddenly all of a sudden look really familiar? <laughs> and sure enough, like, oh, okay. <laughs> wow. He really is like a miniature version of himself. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it's so strange. <laughs> but even from his little kid, he was good, hit all of his lines. <laughs> yeah. I agree. They, they, he definitely, I think, was the shining part of the two especially like from the scene in the mall mm-hmm. when he walks up on his dad, <laughs> just uh, the delivery he gave was so seemed so effortless and was great. And like Audrey was, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like was bad, but it, it I feel like, especially in the eighties and nineties, how hard is it for a teen female actor to play an angsty female teen, like kind of like just really being herself more than likely, like no offense to female teens out there, but it's kind of like finding a teenage boy that also has like hormonal issues. Yeah. Girl troubles. It's like, is it really that hard for them to get into that? (laughs) mindset like it's kind of like their life right now so mm-hmm. uh, I absolutely love the scene um, where uh, Audrey and um, Ellen are in the kitchen and she's complaining that she has to share a room with uh, her brother she's like I have to sleep next to my little brother do you know how sick and twisted that is and Ellen's all like well I'm sleeping with your father yeah you all have to make sacrifices <laughs> Oh yeah. It was pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. So um, the movie is definitely for the lines. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it it's look, it it's good movie and I think you know, all the other characters that we see are all just solid veteran character actors that have been around for you know, a long time, you know, like they, they could pull this stuff off effortlessly and they're all just, just solid, good veteran character actors. <clears throat> so, uh, all right. Well, um, I think we can wrap things up here. So yeah, that was, uh, our take on Christmas, Christmas vacation and, you know, as you can see, I think we all basically like this movie. I and mean, Sarah, I think you probably are higher on it than the, the two of us are. Uh, I think okay. Jacob, you and I are probably roughly on the same level. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, it's a good movie. It's fun. I enjoy watching it. I just make a few changes there, and I think this movie is is even better. But you know, what are you gonna do? We can't really change anything. But. Uh, Still, yeah. it, it's a good time and it's it's funny and, you know, yeah, maybe some of the comedy is outdated and everything, but it also, a lot of it still works, which is a testament to how funny the movie and the script really were. So. True. True that. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening to us uh, ramble on about this movie. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's the Christmas season, right? That's the thing. <laughs> Tis the um, season to be married. Tis the season yeah. to be married, yes. Uh, uh, so anyway, thanks for listening to us, and we'll see you next time on the Freaking Geeks podcast. Later, geeks. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. 
Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us, it really helps. Now, if you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to FreakingGeeksMedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanage. You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin McLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.